Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Bruce talks with his radio show listeners on the new LA program to combat poverty with a guaranteed income of $1,000 per month paid for one year to lucky lotto winners. Then Bruce talks with journalist and publisher David Fune of the Jewish newspaper Algaminer on worldwide anti-Semitism on the rise. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hode. Good evening, Angels Radio listeners. It's Bruce Cook, and it's time for the conversation tonight. As I like to start most every Sunday night, I want to thank you for listening. I am honored to have your time. I'm honored to share this time with you as we share ideas on radio. It's an old-fashioned medium in this world of social media, but it still has punch and it still has meaning and we have a lot to talk about. Our program tonight is pretty diverse. Coming up in the second half hour, I'm going to introduce you to a very, very interesting man who will be calling in from New York tonight. He is the publisher of a Jewish newspaper. It is considered one of the most influential in America and it has reach internationally. The reason I've asked David David, actually, is the pronunciation, the correct pronunciation, David Effune, to come on the show tonight is because anti-Semitism has become a national scourge again in America and around the world. There are so many issues to discuss, and the newspaper has a mission of diffusing misinformation of correcting lies and and untruths that tend to fuel hatred in America, hatred that has to be stopped. That's coming up in the second half hour. But first, we're going to stay closer to home here in Southern California. I don't know how many listeners are aware, but this week, our Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti announced a very interesting program. It's called The Big Leap. Ladies and gentlemen, have you heard about it? Do you know what the big leap is? In short, this is a program that grants $1,000 a month in income to approximately 3,200 citizens who apply for the grant. They are chosen randomly in a lottery basis and they receive the $1,000 a month for one year, 12 months, no strings attached, no questions asked, no supervision of how the money is used. The idea is one that we are going to explore in our first half hour tonight, and we're going to open up the phone lines in case people are listening and they want to share their ideas in our conversation. Listeners, you all know the number, 714-2-830-830, 714-2-830-830. Or for those that don't want the fancy version, 
just 714-283-0830. If you'll permit me, I want to start a little bit off subject, but not so much. There was a, an opinion column uh, published in the Los Angeles Times on October 19th by a well-known columnist and journalist named Jonah Goldberg. He writes about, actually, let me just give you the title of the column, and then I'm going to read a couple paragraphs. The column is titled, Biden's Plan Not as Popular as You Think. It does tie into our subject tonight, and you're going to see. But let me start by sharing some of what Goldberg writes in this L.A. Times column. And I'm taking this from the middle of, of his piece. Quote, A Washington Post poll in 2019 found that 68% of Americans supported taxing, quote, wealthy families to pay for fighting climate change. But when asked if they would agree to pay an extra $2 a month on their electric bills, support fell to less than 47%. That same year, an Associated Press NORC poll asked people if they were be willing if they would be willing to spend $10 more a month in energy bills to fight climate change. Some 68% of respondents said nope. Let me continue. This is where the truly dangerous ignorance begins. For years now, voters have been told that the rich and greedy corporations are an untapped research, untapped renewable resource that can pay for everything and anything. That's false. You could confiscate all of the wealth from the top 1%, and it would come close to covering, it wouldn't come close to covering the bill for, say, the Green New Deal or Medicare for All. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez may turn heads by scrawling, quote, tax the rich on her ball gown. But the truth is, we already do. We tax the rich at a remarkably progressive rate. Goldberg continues. I don't believe that Biden's promise that his $3.5 trillion package, which we all know has now been reduced to under $2 trillion, won't cost everyone making less than $400,000 per year a single penny. But let's just pretend that it's true. In the market popularity, it is determined by what people are willing to pay for out of, out of their pocket, their own pockets. However, in progressive politics and in much of the mainstream media, popularity is determined by what people are willing to have, quote, other people pay for. 
Jonah Goldberg, Los Angeles Times, October 19th. Let's face it, friends. We're all cheap Americans. Actually, we're pretty cheap people. Always have been. It's easier to have someone else pay for something than pay for it ourselves. It's been a debate and an argument in Congress, in corporate halls, in the schoolroom, in the dining room, over dinner. What are you willing what are you willing to pay for in society to make things better? How much are citizens willing to bear the brunt and the cost of helping society with social programs. Our country is torn apart over this issue in Congress right now. We don't know, as I speak to you tonight, where the Biden bill is going to end up. Will it pass? Will all of the programs pass? What will be left out? And most importantly, how much are each of us, each of us taxpayers, willing to pay to make this work? Is it truly the obligation of the 1% of those citizens making tremendous incomes, of corporations making millions and billions of dollars in profit? Or is it a responsibility of every taxpayer, regardless of income, regardless of status, regardless of everything, if it is not the responsibility of us all, then how can a system be sustained? How can a system of benefit and handout be sustained? And does it really help those that are getting the money? So that's the big question tonight. And we turn back to the subject of the Garcetti plan, which was announced this past week on Wednesday. People have 10 days to sign up and qualify for the plan. And I'm going to share what the qualifications are in one second. But let me give you the phone number one more time. I'd love to hear from you. 714-2-830-830. Here's the deal. 10 days to sign up. Anyone can sign up in Los Angeles County. You must qualify by proving or having an annual income below the quote-unquote poverty line. So probably a lot of you don't really know what the poverty line is these days. Here are the facts. For a family of two, $17,420. Family of three, $21,960. Family of four, $26,500. It goes all the way up to a family of eight, $44,660. Beyond that, the criteria is you must have a child, one or more children, or if you are a single woman, you must be pregnant. I suppose that goes for a family also. Someone either must be pregnant or have a child. Beyond that, the only qualifications are, I guess, that you're breathing and that you're able to fill out the form. It is open to all people, including immigrants, undocumented citizens, not citizens, forgive me, undocumented people, and 
10 days, then a lottery will pick approximately 3,200 citizens to receive this money. Here's the rub. It isn't supervised in any way. What if a person, and there are so, and we know there are so many people in need who are suffering from all sorts of problems beyond just not having enough money, problems like substance abuse, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, dysfunctions, physical and mental dysfunctions, $1,000 a month, how is that going to how is that going to change their life with nobody to help them? Last evening, I was watching the network news, and I believe it was on ABC. And a reporter was interviewing one person who was planning to apply for this $1,000 a month stipend. Single woman, mother of an infant boy, several months old, living in a motel room and living on vouchers given by the government in order to have that hotel room no visible means of support and also nowhere to go as of friday when the voucher runs out she is praying that she might be selected as one of these recipients is this fair ladies and gentlemen is it fair is it smart is it wise is it a band-aid is it a political stunt I ask you, I ask you to come and share with me your thoughts. Is this going to help solve poverty in Los Angeles, quote unquote? And they're hoping that it's a mo they, the leadership of Los Angeles, Mayor Garcetti, are hoping that it's a model for other cities and other municipalities to try something similar. It's called the Big Leap. Is it a leap of faith or is it a leap over a cliff? Time to take a break and think about it. Let's come back and talk some more. I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation tonight. We're talking about the $1,000 a month guaranteed income program kicking off in Los Angeles this week. Please stay with me. Ducks Radio AM 830, KLAA. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. Ducks Radio, AMA 30, KLAA. And we are back because we're pumping it here tonight. On Angels Radio, I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation. Our topic this half hour, the new program announced this week by Mayor Eric Garcetti in Los Angeles to give $1,000 a month to some 3,200 deserving people who need the cash. No strings attached. 
We've got a caller. We've got Loretta coming in tonight from Costa Mesa who wants to join the conversation. Loretta, welcome to the program. Hi. I. Uh, this is the first I've heard of it, and I've got a clown costume on. I've had it all all day for Halloween, but I'm not going to call it my clown idiot joker costume. I think I'll call it the Eric Garcetti complete with mass. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. How, how could this possibly be a good investment, just throwing away taxpayer dollars to undeserving people? I just don't understand it. Well, Loretta, maybe the people are deserving, but the question is, is this a wise program? Is this a good move? No. Will this help poverty, in other words? Uh, no. It, it just throw, You know, it's the old saying, don't give someone a fish. Teach them to fish. This is your classic just throwing fish at them, dead fish, smelly fish. This idea stinks. Well, America has been I, wrestling with this, Loretta, for, for decades now. Uh, our entire social fabric entwined with the government in, in aid for various uh, people in poverty. It hasn't worked real well, and and critics have agreed with you on the fact that that it is it is probably better to give people an avenue to education, an avenue to a job, etc., in order to come out of poverty. But let me ask you this. The problem we're facing now is that too many people who are in poverty can't get out because they can't find decent housing they can afford. They can't find child help child care for their children in order to go out and get a job. So how do we get out of this mess? Is Eric Garcetti just putting a Band-Aid on it by saying, here's some money to help you, whatever you do with it, go and do it? What's, what is going to happen? Absolutely, it's a Band-Aid. And there's no incentive. What's the incentive? I, I know a lot of people who haven't had a lot of money. They didn't have a whole lot. Growing up, yet somehow, because of incentives, they didn't want to be poor. They wanted to get, get off the, the poverty wagon. So they worked hard, and that used to be the American way. It doesn't seem to be anymore. It's okay. How much can we hose the taxpayers? And I say taxpayers. I don't like to say government money because it comes from the taxpayers. And it's just gotten out of control. And I don't want to come off sounding hard-hearted. I feel horrible for for these children and these people we have millions of charities that helps and i think a lot of charity does and should remain at, at the church well you I know, know what that, uh, loretta that's a really good point um and maybe government needs to work more closely with the private sector yes. with with communities yes. and churches to solve these problems listen i want you to stay on the line but i'm going to bring in another caller who's on the line and let's see what he says and feel free to join in. Uh, we have a gentleman named Stephen from Tustin. Uh, Stephen, do you want to join us, please? I would love to. Thank you for calling in tonight. Where do you stand on this idea of $1,000 guaranteed income to those in need? It's a ridiculous and ineffective idea. Why? What, what turns you off? Well... <clears throat> It's, I think it's ideologically it's ridiculous because you don't give the taxpayers any choice as to whether to contribute to it. And, in fact, we are contributing to it. 
However, you give the recipients free reign to spend the money in whatever way they want, which is a ridiculous idea ideologically to give some people free choice and others not. Interesting idea, interesting way to look at it. But what would you say to someone that would challenge you and say, well, the taxpayers, us, we elected these officials to represent us, so we have entrusted them with the idea that they have the right to create these programs without coming back to us and ask us? I would argue the premise that we elect these people, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we do elect them the first time they're in, but by virtue of the fact that people are, quote-unquote, representing us, a la Pelosi, a la Feinstein, a la Biden, for decades, I think belies the fact that we actually re-elect them. Um, because I think if we were actually to have really decently run re-elections, uh, none of these people would be elected over and over and over again until they're basically incompetent. So that's one premise that I have to disagree with baseline. But I think the better solution is rather than increase taxes to pay for this, okay, we can uh, – private charity, until income tax, private charity was huge in this country. Charitable contributions from private citizens – uh, using their own best judgment, was absolutely enormous until the charitable state came into play. So here's what I propose. Instead of taxing and spending it on people and giving them whatever discretion they want, do this. Have people get tax breaks for showing charity to individuals as long as they can document that they've shown charity. For example... If you have a guy with an extra room in his house and he's willing to house an indigent person for as long as it takes or as long as he's willing to do so, give that man a tax break. Interesting thought. As long as he as long as he can document that he's actually housing this guy. You know, I like that. I like that. Wait a minute. I like that, Stephen. But do you think that there's enough people in this in this country that would be willing to do that? We are in a pretty um, selfish. Think, we're a pretty think, selfish uh, world at this point. It's a selfish country, too. I have to disagree with you that we are a selfish country. This country shows more charity voluntarily, not government mandated, than any other country in the world. Okay. Well, I would agree um, with that, but I, I think I meant individually. I think we've become very selfish people. It's a, it's all about me too. I don't know it, that people are going to open their homes. Individuals being selfish was what this country's form of capitalism was based upon. They were mutual they were they were dealing in mutual uh, mutual benefit. Adam Smith's invisible hand, this is the classic case of that. So if you give me enough incentive via tax breaks, there's a lot of stuff I will do for other people. Stephen, I, I like your I like your contribution tonight. Gives us a lot of food to to think about. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up taxes because even though it's a whole different program and a lot more discussion and time, it's been on my mind a long time that, and and I'm going to get flack for this comment, but I don't think that anybody should cast a vote unless they're a taxpayer and they and they fill out a tax form. I think that I agree. I think that you have to participate in that way in order to in order to decide how our government spends our money. And if you're not I agree. If, I agree. 
Oh, there's Loretta. You She's back have, in. You have to have some skin in the game. We've got too many people on the take. Thus, they're going to keep electing these candidates who just give away the freebies. And I think and that's we have a great to have idea. Uh, ID mandatory and personal showing mandatory elections again, just like they did when you and I were children. Why is that such an evil thought? <laughs> why you is that? Thought, why is why that? Is it evil? Yeah. Why is that considered? Racist, prejudice, evil. How could you demand that somebody prove who they are in order to vote? Because nowadays, in order to in order to prove something, in order to show a correct idea as actually wrong, you can say, well, it may be correct, but it's evil. If you can label it as evil, then when enough evil by people buy the lie that it's in, is evil, then perforce it has to be wrong. Well, I'm afraid that there's a lot of truth in that, and it's a shame. And it's also it's also very hard to comprehend the fact that our two major parties continue to squabble about these election rules and rights when both the Democrats and the Republicans are struggling to come to some kind of understanding of what is fair and not fair in terms of uh, voting and elections. And... Half of our country believes that elections are fraudulent now. Yes, that's true, and and rightly so. There's no reason to have any confidence where a person doesn't have. There's actually no reason to have any confidence that there is one uh, citizen, one vote, when you have mail-in ballots, and virtually uh, anybody can sign these things and mail them in. I myself uh, know people who were mailed three or four ballots of people who didn't even live there, and they and they mailed them all in for their party. Well, we hear that kind of we hear that kind of um, anecdotal information a lot. What do you say, Stephen or Loretta, to the voices on the other side that say mail-in ballots in various major metropolitan places have worked for years? What's different now? Well, they say it. I don't have any way of knowing whether that's true, but I do know that if you force a person to identify themselves at the ballot box, that for certain will eliminate fraud. And I happen to agree that I don't see any reason why we shouldn't require identification at the ballot box. I don't think, I honestly don't think that that inhibits people of color or people of lower income status that can't get away from work and all the different messages that are being sent out uh, considered prejudicial and racist I'm sorry, anybody, anybody can present some sort of an ID, legitimate ID, in order to vote. So hey, You know what? If that's really a concern, fine. Then have two days' worth of voting and have the voting polls open 24 hours a day in for it with three shifts. Okay? That way all the sad sacks who can't get off work, nobody works for 24 hours. They can, they can take that 30-minute window and go vote. Well, Stephen, also the polls are open from 8 in the morning till 8 at night. Most well, people most people don't work absolutely. 12 hours a day now either. Anyway. I absolutely agree with you. That's another show. We got a lot more to do and so much more to, to correct in order to make this work. Uh, but I appreciate very much your sharing your ideas tonight. Loretta, same to you. Thank you for calling in. Really appreciate both Thank of you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And Loretta, I'm sorry for dominating. 
Oh, That's... no, no. I have a quick question, though. And I, I All right, go ahead. Be... Go ahead. I, I, I like the idea. I think that terrific of, of bringing in a homeless person. Stephen, is that something you would ever consider? I have done it. Really? Oh, wow. Wow. Good yeah. for you. Yes. Good for you. Well, I know we no, have no. Daughter, but we'd like Obviously, to hear about I... it sometime. It wasn't foolhardy. I, I, you know, of course, demanded that he show me he had no weapons, for one, and I hid all the potential weapons from my house. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was relatively safe about it. Uh, but I did it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Good for you. Really interesting. I wish we had more time. I'd like to explore it. But we got to go. I'll call, call, I'll call again. again. Are you are you, are you on next week? Uh, actually, no. I am preempted next week for a Ducks game. But I'm on just about every Sunday. And I'd love to have you join the conversation whenever you're up to it. See you then. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Loretta. We're going to take a break. We will be right back. Ducks Radio, AM 830. Hey, LAA. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Angels Radio, AM830. I'm Bruce Cook. It is the conversation tonight. We're switching gears, but the topic, the theme, the idea of fair play and representation remains a constant as we continue our conversation. And I introduce you to our next guest and a very serious topic, a very important one. And 
let me start by telling you about Mr. David Effune. David is the, I believe, the publisher and chairman of a Jewish language newspaper called Alga Minor. And forgive if my pronunciation is not perfect. I frankly was not familiar with this paper until hearing about it in the past couple of weeks and what its mission is. And frankly, in this time of rising hatred in America and around the world, leading to such horrific acts as anti-Semitic attacks, the paper has a mission of countering the lies in our society that are propagated by all sorts of media, mostly an irresponsible media. And recently, David and other members of his team held a benefit gala in New York. And let me read something that was said about the purpose of that night and about the newspaper. After the events of the past year, said Afune, when we witnessed again 1,000 strands of falsehood weaved together in a thick rope of hate, that a line has been firmly drawn under our long-held conviction that lies can kill and that truth saves lives. It is often the case that stories first reported by the Algaminer would simply not see the light of day, that the historical record would remain uncorrected without the diligent skills of our team, meaning his newspaper and the journalists. The voice of the Algaminer is indispensable. David Yafoon is, let me, let me look at his, his bio. He is he holds two rabbinic degrees and a master's in Hebrew letters. He is regularly interviewed on many major television channels, including CBS, CNBC, Fox News, CNN, and 124 News. He is a speaker. He has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Observer, and so many other uh, newspapers and outlets. And... With President Obama, Fune authored a chapter in the President Obama and and Israel in the the Global Obama, uh, which came out in 2013. He is one of the few journalists to interview both Donald Trump and Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. David, are you there? I am here. Welcome. To Southern California. Let me ask Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Thanks for, com- thanks for coming on. Why is it so important that a ethnic newspaper, a Jewish paper that most of the general public in America are unaware of, why is it so important that your paper has grown in stature and and people are paying attention to it, especially especially politicians and leaders? not just in America, but in other parts of the world, particularly the Middle East? Well, I think um, while it's true that uh, we have a lot of work to do in terms of uh, 
getting ourselves known by everyday Americans. Um, by by extension, um, a, a lot of Americans will have come across our work because it's often the case that we'll break a story that will then be covered by a leading American or other international publication, whether it's the Washington Post or CNN or Fox News or Le Monde in France or Deutsche Welle in Germany or the Daily Mail in the UK or the Telegraph, etc. So, you know, one of the greatest achievements um, or, or, or sources of recognition for any journalist or journalistic practice, journalistic profession, is when you're bringing stories to light that others deem important and then run with and, and quote you and reference your work. So in that respect, I think many, many Americans will, will be fully aware or will have come across um, our coverage in one way or another, especially throughout the course of the past year. David, um, give, me an give me an example of a story that you have broken. Oh, I mean, there, there are a great deal of stories that we've broken from, you know, being the first, for example, to cover uh, in the English language the uh, brutal murder of the Holocaust survivor, Marie Noel, the anti-Semitic murder in Paris, who's, uh, the trial of whose killers uh, actually commenced last week. It was covered by the New York Times, among others, subsequently. Um, there are examples that are sort of more um, American-focused, whether it's um, on college campuses, for example, uh, groups that are seeking to boycott the Jewish state, um, actively holding their campaigns on Jewish holidays so that uh, Jewish students are less likely to be present and oppose the work they're doing. Let me, let me let me stop you with that, because that's something I really wanted to ask you. There is definitely a rise in anti-Israel sentiment on college campuses across America. That has been documented by many news sources. What do you attribute it to? Well, I think there are a few parts um, to it. But in the end of the day, you have basically the... Um, rather insidious um, convergence of, of world views. Some refer to it as, as uh, um, you know, what you have basically um, various ideologies that are very, very active on campus that have sort of put forth the narrative that, you know, in order to be sympathetic with one, one has to be sympathetic with the other. For example, if you want to be sympathetic to the cause of black people in America, you have to, at the same time, feel a certain sentiment towards uh, Palestinians or uh, Israelis, etc. And, the, you know, basically you have a great deal of ignorance on campus, and these movements uh, feed on, on ignorance. And they, they, uh, what they do is they sort of uh, gain ground among young people who are coming to campus and feel like they, 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 they want to do well for the underdog, if you will, and, and get uh, caught up in some, in, in some cases, some positive, thoughtful campaigns, um, but are not well educated or thoughtful enough to, you know, really differentiate and understand, you know, what they're talking about. You know, the, 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 the common phrase is used is intersectionality, right? So those that are sort of at the forefront of intersectional movements have worked very hard 
to to tie the Palestinian cause into a lot of other causes that are far easier to, to sympathize with, to sympathize with far less nuance, for example. And they've seen a lot of success on that front. You know, at the same time, you have college professors um, that are parroting, you know, all kinds of um, re- re- really, I mean, uh, you know, narratives, um, you know, propaganda, and uh, you know, falsehoods, half truths, mistruths. Um, and you know, when you if you've got young people coming to campus who aren't well educated, who aren't well informed. Yeah, it, it's very easy for them to, to get carried away and, 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 you know, end up actually end up taking quite a hateful position to the extent where, um, you know, throughout this past summer, when there was a war in, taking place in Gaza, um, you saw people actually condemning the condemnation of anti-Semitism because, uh, you know, they thought that every, what they claimed that every condemnation of anti-Semitism has to include a statement about Islamophobia, for example. Um, so we've, we've, we've uh, unfortunately gone quite far down the rabbit hole. We've got a lot of climbing out to do on this front. It's, it's also very disturbing because the narrative has really reversed. The David versus Goliath narrative has reversed. The state of Israel and the Jewish people had always been the quote-unquote underdog in these situations, and now, in the view of many progressives on campus and elsewhere, they are the evil aggressor. There is no, there is no consideration given to the fact that they are reacting to aggression, yeah. and they are responding to aggression, and it seems to be totally overlooked and not considered in part of the the overall uh, discussion because they have more might, because they have more technology, and the quote-unquote quote underdog Palestinians are victims of that that might. That, that, that. Yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 extend, it extends far beyond that as well. I mean, you have an ideology that's taking root in, in the United States today and beyond, where basically right and wrong is defined in terms of power. Um, you know, of course, of course, you know, whether that's, you know, the United States and its place in the world, because it's more powerful, therefore it must be wrong, or whether it's ideologies like critical race theory that sort of have hierarchies of, 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 of uh, privilege, where, you know, if somebody is, 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 is white and male, they're at the top, the top of the hierarchy. But at the end of the day, um, there's never been a, a, a correct or helpful or constructive or moral prism through which to view right and wrong. I mean, to say that basically, you know, uh, I don't know, a thief or a murderer uh, must be right because, you know, the, the, the police force is much more powerful. I mean, what does that do, for example, to, to, to a society? It's, it's a dangerous thought. It's a dangerous thought. I mean, right and wrong, it, it never has been and never should be measured in those terms. You know, we have um, objective standards for, for, for ethics and morality. And, you know, obviously the, the, the debate over, um, you know, the Israelis and the Palestinians um, is a debate that Americans are very familiar with. And for the most part, Americans understand and routinely 60, 70 percent understand um, that there is a justness to, to the Israeli cause. Um, having said that, there's um, obviously a crisis that, that erupts from, from, from time to time, which Israel, a democratic state, 
has to deal with, but also goes to incredibly uh, 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 far length um, in order to do it in a humanitarian, in a in a sensitive, in a in a in a delicate um, and and legal fashion. Let and me course, let me uh, that, that doesn't get the recognition it deserves. Let me ask you a couple of really difficult questions. Sure. Representative Bernie Sanders, Jewish, very progressive, has been very vocal about Israel and problems in that country in dealing with Palestinian, the Palestinian situation, and he has been also very much in line with the progressive movement uh, of other elected officials. And there is very much a disconnect between what we're talking about tonight and what someone like Sanders stands for. How do, how do you react in the Algemeyer, in the paper, when Sanders comes out very critical of Israel, very critical of what is happening in, in Palestine? How do you deal with that? Well, you know, we've never dealt with 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 anything in terms of you know through through the prism of of identity. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody's Jewish or not Jewish, or, or or black or white, or American or not American, or Israeli or Palestinian. What matters is what they're saying, and whether it's right or wrong, and whether um, it's it's moral or not, or whether it's ethical or not. And he's he's just wrong on on a whole host of issues in terms of what he's been saying and how he's been saying it. And you know what's what's most tragic about a, a character like Bernie Sanders is that you know he's not thinking independently, and he's sort of cotton on to this idea that to be progressive, um, you, you you have to have a problem with Israel, and nothing could be further from from the truth. Um, take for example, uh, in New York, in the district right next to. AOC's district, you have a fellow called Congressman Richie Torres, right, the 15th Congressional District, who is just as progressive as all of these folks, but an incredible supporter of Israel. He's been there. He's seen it firsthand. He knows and he understands what he's talking about. And he recognizes that Israel is not a subject that's defined through the lens of, of partisan American politics. It existed long before Bernie Sanders, it will exist long after him, it existed long before Donald Trump, it will exist long after him, before Joe Biden, it will exist long after him. Israel represents a set of ideas and principles and a vision that's over 2,000 years old that the Jewish people have the right to self-determination in their ancient homeland. Uh, and if you can't recognize that, obviously that's something that no uh, self-respecting Jewish person is going to be comfortable with. Uh, let me stop you there. David, we have to take a break. Uh, so much more to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation. We will be right back. Do not go away. You look so happy when I'm up with you. Hi, this is Kevin Shattenkirk, and you're listening to Ducks Radio AM 830. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's NeuroSpine program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash spine 
can help. Ducks Radio, AM 830. Yeah, what is wrong with the world, Mama? That's a great uh, song to come back to our conversation. I'm Bruce Cook with David Afune. And we are talking about America and Israel. We're talking about his newspaper, The Alga Miner. So many things to discuss. David, and I keep saying David rather than David. I hope you'll pardon me. Uh, I, know, I know the pronunciation is David. I've been told a lot worse. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, I want. we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to bring up another tough subject. U.S. Jewry at least 20th century-wise, was predominantly democratic. It has shifted. There is now a very big divide. There are a lot of conservative Jews who are not democratic. They are not in favor of democratic policies in this country. It would have been unheard of in mid-20th century. What do you attribute that to? And let me bring in another aspect of that, and that is the president, the, the past presidency of Donald Trump. A lot of, and this is maybe going to sound very strange, but I know a number of very, quote-unquote, socially democratic American citizens who voted for Trump because he is so staunchly pro-Israel. They may not have liked other things about him, but that was a reality. And what is ironic is so many other Jewish people find him so abhorrent. Talk to me. Uh, I mean, look, first of all, um, you know, I, I remember New York's famous mayor, Ed Koch, about three weeks before he died, it may have been the last interview that he ever did, I spoke with him, and he was a Democrat, lifelong Democrat. He told me, you know, it's the biggest mistake for any ethnic group to vote one way all the time. You know, no politician should ever take your vote for granted of, of, of any group. You know, if you want to have leverage, if you want to have influence, you want to have political figures, people running for office have to fight for your vote every time. In terms of, of Donald Trump and others, I mean, look, in the end of the day, like all Americans, for Jewish Americans and the way that they vote, it always becomes a question of priorities. So you have many Jewish people where Israel is pretty high up in the priority list. Um, you have many people, whether they're evangelical Christians or just well-meaning Americans, where Israel is high up in the priority list. You have others, other, other Jewish people or others, uh, where, for example, um, social issues are higher on the priority on the priority list, or where you know their perception of somebody's character is higher up on the priority list, or healthcare or taxation or anything like that. So, in the end of the day, you know you have just, just like uh, every group in this country, the Jewish community is by no means a monolithic community. Uh, there's no group of rabbis that gets together and says, hey, this is how we're going to vote this time. I mean, everybody sort of um, comes to it from, from their own angle and their own, their own perspective. Having said that, you know, I think the, 
the, the, the educated will recognize that allegiance to any party in the long term, not just for Jewish people, for all Americans, um, is, is never the right way to think about it. You know, you want to have an allegiance to a set of principles. If your set of principles are constitutionalist principles, if they're religious principles, if they are economic principles, if they are moral or ethical principles, and then look at the political landscape and see, you know, who are the individuals and the leaders who are best going to reflect your morals and your principles. If we, at any stage, place our allegiance first to political parties or personalities, that's the surest way to lose sight of what our principles are. So I know that's the case with, with many Jewish Americans in terms of how they vote. I hope it's the case with all Americans that they think about their votes in that way. And when you do think about voting in that way, it's quite feasible that you may go from one side of the aisle to the other because, you know, history is, is not linear. Um, we know, for example, that today the Republican Party has shown the greatest friendship to the Jewish state. But that hasn't always been the case. I mean, it was George H.W. Bush that wanted to withhold loan guarantees, and, you know, they had a really testy relationship under Kissinger. So, you know... What is today may not be tomorrow. As long as you stick with your principles, then you've got a time-tested strategy for picking the best. uh, Well put. Very well put, David. Unfortunately, we are out of time, and I hate that we are because we have so much more to talk through. Thank you for coming on the program tonight. I wish you all the best of luck with the Alga Miner in the future, and perhaps you'll come back again and, and share some thoughts with me. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Anytime. All the best. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for our program tonight. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your interest. Be safe. Take care of one another. We'll be back again Sunday nights. The conversation. Bruce Cook saying good night. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>